Imagine all of the history of the Hebrew people, of that chosen people, chosen by God himself, from the dawn of creation, through the lives and testimonies of the early patriarchs, from the accidental enslavement in Egypt, all the way through what we call the Exodus, from the 40 years wandering to the many years conquering of the promised land, from the judges to the kings, from greatness to the Babylonian captivity, from their returning to Israel and yet into a high sense that they still needed saving, from the arrival a couple hundred years later of Alexander the Great to take the keys of Jerusalem, through the turbulent rule of the Ptolemies and Seleucids up to the Maccabean revolt, through the still mostly turbulent rule of the homegrown Hasmoneans, all the way through the destruction under Pompey, whose triumvirate would eventually splinter, yielding Caesar, yielding that man's great nephew Octavian, i.e. Augustus. And you have some sense of the relative chaos living in the hearts of the Jewish people, a people, again, chosen by God. And now imagine, as we've done in the last couple of episodes, a young, seemingly nobody woman being told that outside of marriage, she will be impregnated by the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, she will be the mother of the Son of God. She will give birth to the Savior of all men everywhere. Hearing this, She disappears for a series of months into the hill country. Returning to her fiancé, she is visibly pregnant. And so imagine that man, having been told in a dream not to divorce her, well, he has set his face to, to love her no matter the cost. The two of them are proceeding through those latter months of her pregnancy, dealing with all the fallout in their village, And learning to wait upon the Lord amidst his wild ways of doing things together. When that very same Octavian I mentioned, having dismantled and destroyed his own triumvirate, having won the final version of the Roman Civil Wars, having quietly cobbled together the power to reign entirely alone, having made an empire with an emperor somehow seem like a functioning republic, having defeated, annexed, subdued, and established the seemingly infinite reaches of Roman rule, having settled into the relative rest of the Pax Romana, well, that man, again, now known as Caesar Augustus, he decides it's time to properly number the men, women, and children, both slave and free, who are part of his territories. Israel, Mary, Joseph, Rome. Imagine their stories coming together. And then, friends, stop imagining that. Just stop right now. Because now I need you imagining a group of men who do not care about what I just told you, are not thinking about what I just told you, and you'd think, would have nothing at all to do with what I'm about to describe. Here's what they're doing. They're sitting in a circle, staring into the low light of a campfire, passing around a skin of unquestionably bad wine. 
For a time, they have been talking, telling stories, gossiping, laughing at bad jokes. But now they are mellowing into the sleepiness of the dark night. The skies overhead are particularly sparkling with stars. It's the tail end of the moon's cycle. The light breeze blowing by them, bending the flickering of the flames, smells of the hills and the dust and the sheep. For this circle of men are shepherds, keeping watch over their flock by night. Suddenly, and actually let me say that again so it matches the mood of the moment. Suddenly, there is a man standing directly beside them. He is large. He is brilliantly attired in spotless, glowing white. And he is absolutely terrifying. Especially, again, because of his suddenness. He stares slowly into each of their terrified eyes. Then, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. It will cause great joy for everyone everywhere. Today, in the town of David, here the glowing stranger is pointing toward Bethlehem, has been born your Savior. He is Messiah the Lord. This will be the sign for you to see. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in a feed trough. And with that, and again with a sudden quality that just won't end, the whole night sky is lit up from end to end, brilliantly. From all the way over there to all the way over there, the entirety of the formerly dark sky is peopled with 10 million more of whatever this guy standing here is. They are suspended in the air, wall to wall, shoulder to shoulder. <laughs> and then they begin to sing. Their combined harmony shakes the earth beneath the terrified shepherds and causes the grass of the field to bow low like a trumpet's blast. They sing together, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And then, whoo, darkness. All is as it was before. The night sky, the stars, the campfire, the sheep, the shepherds, in silence. They rise to their feet. They begin, all of them, swiftly walking into the town. They hardly have to say it to each other, but they do. Let's go see. And while Caesar Augustus is perhaps sitting down to a late night meal in his house on the Palatine Hill, while Herod, the puppet king, is sleeping restlessly in Jerusalem, a young man and a young woman are talking quietly, keeping their eyes on their newborn baby son, who is asleep in a manger. The young woman is still in a great deal of pain from the delivery. The young man is making them some dinner from what he could scrape together in the quiet village. When suddenly 
the door to the stable opens. The cool nighttime air rushes inward. The young man and young woman turn surprised to look over. And that group of shepherds walks in with tears in their eyes. Friends, this week, in concert with that, I've been meditating on part of Ephesians 3. And I want you to listen to some of those verses in light of the shepherd's experience. Listen. It is in this same Jesus, because we have faith in him, that we dare, even with confidence, to approach God. In view of these tremendous issues, I beg you not to lose heart. And actually, if I could break in here, the sheer wondrous glory of what those shepherds experienced on that night is that from the beginning, the Father's plan for our approach to Him is to approach us. We have our doubts about His goodness. Well, look, here He is. We have our doubts about His all-encompassing providence. Well, look, here He is. We have big questions about the meaning or the meaningfulness of life. Well, look, here He is. Daily entrusting ourselves to Him, we may absolutely dare, and with confidence, to approach the one who sent Him. We may be as bold to approach Him as He was bold and brave and humble and kind, in approaching us. Paul goes on. When I think of the greatness of this great plan, I fall on my knees before God the Father, from whom all fatherhood, earthly or heavenly, derives its name. And I pray that out of the glorious richness of his resources, he will enable you to know the strength of the Spirit's inner reinforcement, that Christ may actually live in your hearts by your faith. My friends, the plan of God, the once-for-all-time way of the new covenant, is great in the following ways. One, it makes our worship completely reasonable, seeing as we now actually know the object of our devotion. Two, It makes the Father known to us because, as he'll tell us, the Son is just like the Father. Three, it not only shortens the gap between our human lives and the Godhead, it ends the gap by the Spirit's being brought by Jesus to live within us. And lastly, four, it allows us to read on the pages of the gospel, yes, the historical life of Jesus and by his Spirit to have him living within us now contemporaneously. So again, the greatness of this great plan Paul is talking about is fourfold. One, worship that is reasonable. Two, a father God who is known. Three, the spirit of God within. And four, Jesus too. That is what the shepherds fell on their knees before, not even fully grasping it. Now, how about us? Back to Paul. And I pray that you, firmly fixed in love yourselves, may be able to grasp with all Christians how wide and deep 
and long and high is the love of Christ, and to know for yourselves that love so far beyond our comprehension. May you be filled through all your being with God himself. Now to him who by his power within us is able to do far more than we ever dared to ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church through Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. Here's a question for you. The way it ended there, do you know what amen actually means? Do you know? It can mean verily or truly. And really the meaning back of those is let it be so. And typically, if you or I happen to know what that actually means, and if we happen to end a prayer with that word meaning that meaning, we're in the mindset of saying essentially, hey, uh, God, would you let it be or make it be so? But I've been struck this week, and here's what I think is really fun about the ending of this Ephesians 3 text. All these things already being true, it is for us to let them be and make them be so. Just like for the shepherds. Pay attention. Verily, the love of Emmanuel, God with us, is beyond width, depth, length, and height understandings. Verily, the love of God for us is beyond imagining. Verily, God wants to live in us and in this way, that his power through our lives can do inestimably more than we'd ever think to even ask of him. Verily, the purpose of the body of Christ, the church, well, it is always to bring him glory. So, my friend, How do we amend this for ourselves? How do we make it so, let it be so, in our own day, our own time, our own lives? Well, by enjoying His love this day, by seeking to experience it and give it away more, by submitting our lives to the direct leading of the Spirit of Jesus, and by when you and I come together being only about the glory of Jesus. Along with that angel army of the skies, and especially as I record this as we approach Christmas 2023, I say to you, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Thanks for listening.